This is the Timepieces History Podcast, brought to you by Gudrun Lorette, the expert in using modern marketing methods for the traditional heritage sector. Each bite-sized show shares the story of a place, person or object from the past in around 10 minutes. And now, here's today's show. Hello and welcome to the Timepieces History Podcast. Today, episode 10, we're looking at religion in Rome from the time of the kings through to the introduction of Christianity. As always, remember you can let me know what you think of the episodes via Twitter at Gudrun Lorette, drop me a comment on the podcast page on my website or over on whichever platform you're listening to this too. If you're after show notes, links and transcripts, they're all on the website and you don't need an email address for those. So, Rome, it's fair to say, is and always was a remarkable city, the heart of both the ancient republic and the empire, a capital city and the seat of the Catholic Church for 2,000 years. There's probably more written about the history of Rome than anywhere else in Europe. And of course, prior to the introduction of Catholicism, the Romans had a pantheon of gods and goddesses, many borrowed from the ancient Greeks. The Romans were tolerant of other religions and happy to subsume or align those deities with their own, as seen with the shrine to Sulis Minerva at Bath. The Romans did in fact have their own gods, but little is known about them now, with only brief references to their names and roles found in fragments dating back to the time of the kings before the Republic and the Empire. The first ruler after Romulus, Numa, was believed to be able to commune with these ancient gods, building temples in their honour. Over the intervening centuries, followers of the religions honouring these gods sometimes resurfaced. At various times, these deities were grouped together, for example those dealing with heaven, earth and the underworld, or in triads representing three significant gods worshipped at a particular time. The most important gods and goddesses formed a group of twelve, with the historian Livy describing Electisternium, or banquet for the gods. Here, the twelve gods are in male-female pairs and includes Jupiter and Juno, the king and queen, who represent thunder and protection. Also at the party were Vulcan and Vesta, fire and home, Neptune and Minerva, the sea and wisdom, Phoebus and Diana, healing and hunting, Mars and Venus, war and love, and Mercury and Ceres, commerce and agriculture. Each of these twelve had a parallel deity in the Greek pantheon, which is probably why we know so much about them. Jupiter and Juno were Zeus and Hera, Neptune was Poseidon, and Venus was Aphrodite. Personally, I've always liked the Greek names better, but that might just be me. The roles these gods and goddesses played were broadly the same from Greek to Roman, and the twelve top deities were supported by a host of other heavenly creatures, including everybody's favourite, Dionysus Bacchus, who was the god of wine and debauchery. Pan Faunus was the god of shepherds, and Selene Luna was the goddess of the moon. Temples, shrines and altars were all built to honour whichever god or goddess best represented the need of its people or priest, and cults were common too. It's worth bearing in mind that many of these figures are found elsewhere in ancient religions. Ares Mars can also be linked to Odin, who was the Norse god of war. Along with their borrowed gods, the Romans had a habit of deifying deceased emperors, usually straight after they died, although there wasn't always a guarantee of this. They had priests in temples performing rituals and sacrifices, and temples were, bu- were built in their honour, ensuring their memory lived on. Unfortunately, once the emperor's successor died, he usually replaced them in the top deification spot. The imperial cult followed this deification with one small difference. The, rem- the emperor was not always dead before it happened. Making a living emperor into a living god bestowed special favours on him and meant that his rule was not only constitutional, but divine. 
The imperial cult, also found in similar form in Greece, was a way of showing loyalty and obedience to the ruler of the city or country. In fact, even in the household of the average Roman citizen, the patriarch was seen as the embodiment of the genius, that is, the spirit of his ancestors, and therefore the person to be obeyed. The Greeks didn't make all their dead into gods, although they were honoured in their own way. Those who had done something significant were classed as heroes, such as those who died in the Battle of Marathon. By the end of the Roman Republic, the honours accorded to the living heroes included huge triumphs, or parades through the city, claiming patronage of certain gods and building cities which they named after them. However, it was the first of the emperors who claimed divine right. Julius Caesar's family were, apparently, descended from Venus and her son Aeneas, as well as the original kings and thereby Mars. Plus, Caesar served as chief priest of Rome, or Pontifex Maximus. He claimed Venus as his patron and went around in the purple toga usually worn only for a triumph. After his victory at the Battle of Munda, he was given a house that resembled a temple. Games were dedicated to him. He was put on coins, or rather his image was, and that was something that had never happened before. And the month Quintilis was renamed July after him. He also had his own flamen, or priest, specifically ordained to serve him. And that role was first held by the rather infamous Mark Antony. Caesar's heirs were also deified, sometimes in life and sometimes after death, although not all of them sought to take advantage of their status. Tiberius, who followed Augustus, was not too keen to push this side of his rule, but on the other hand, Caligula delighted in pretending to be one or more of the gods. Claudius was also circumspect in accepting worship as a god, but he did have a temple built for himself in Camulodunum, or Colchester, in Britain, following his conquest there. Otherwise, he shunned the honours that others demanded. Christianity had been in place since the first century in Judea, which was a Roman province at the time and is part of modern Palestine today. It was different to what the Greeks and Romans were used to, with the idea of one god and one son, and not having a different deity for each need. Now, as we know from episode 6 when we looked at the gladiators, the Christians were not always well treated in Rome, frequently thrown to the wolves, or lions, at the gladiator circus in the name of entertainment for the bloodthirsty citizens. Unsurprisingly, anyone who worshipped Christ would have maintained a low profile whenever possible. However, despite their best efforts, this wasn't always achievable. The Christians' refusal to follow the imperial cult was a black mark against them, and the Emperor Diocletian embarked on a decade-long campaign of persecution, the Great Persecution of 303-311. to Christians were tortured, their sacred books burned, and their buildings and homes torn down. However, things changed quite dramatically in the following few years. Emperor Constantine, who we met in the last episode, announced his own commitment to the Christian faith not long after by signing an edict which declared that Christians should be allowed to practice their beliefs in safety. When he took over full rule of Rome, having previously served as Caesar in the West, he supported the Christian church financially, returned confiscated property, donated land, granted granted tax exemptions to the clergy and had basilicas built. Constantinople's construction reflected his beliefs, with Christian architecture and no temples available for worship of other religions. Ironically, by the end of his reign, Constantine was ordering the tearing down of temples to those ancient gods and making it clear that the old religions were no longer acceptable. The emperors who came after him were expected to uphold the values of the church and to ensure orthodoxy. The days of the gods and goddesses were over. Thank you for listening. I'd love to know what you thought of today's episode. Please tune in next week for the final two episodes of season three, which is gone over really quickly. And don't forget, you can sign up for my five content ideas for Heritage Sites ebook too. Speak to you soon. 
Thank you for listening to the Time Pieces History Podcast. Don't forget to listen next time for more quick history facts.